Hello, and welcome to The Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And we're back. We we're back. are back. <laughs> We've got an amazing selection of books slash authors lined up for season four. So you heard it here. Get excited. Um, I'm I'm already I've got I'm going off the rails literally second episode of the script and I've got my best friend mug from that time that we went to Universal Studios. Fun times. Fun times. <laughs> yeah. Back when we traveled and did things. Yes. <laughs> and went to places where there were people who congregated. No um, more. No more. So <laughs> I'm ready. I've got my tea. I'm ready to go. Um, let's do it. Let's do it. So we are kicking it off with a discussion of A Sky Beyond the Storm. This is the fourth and final novel in Saba Tahir's An Ember in the Ashes series. Will Helene, Laia, and Elias be able to stop Karis and the Nightbringer from destroying the world? You can probably guess the answer because YA, <laughs> and yet we love it. So in case you're interested in the other episodes we've done about the series, uh, you can find them uh, on our website, of course, or in your podcatcher of choice. Episode four is An Ember in the Ashes. Episode seven is A Torch Against the Night. And episode 10 is A Reaper at the Gates. And here we are, literally 40 episodes later at episode 50. And here is Saba, and we're still going strong. We got this. <laughs> um, Kelly, I already welcomed you all back to the show, so we hope you inv- enjoyed our guest interviews while we've been taking a bit of a break, a break where we decided to do guest interviews. <laughs> and not actually take much of a break. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we just wanted to give you all the content that you wanted, so... We had a fun time interviewing some authors, and we hope you enjoyed that. Um, we just really want, we quickly wanted to shout out a bunch of things that we have going on for the podcast for new and returning audience members. So you can follow us on Instagram at the Library Coven to keep up with everything that's going on in our bookish lives. I mean, mostly it's my bookish life, but <laughs> I send I send photos sometimes, and we do. Maybe we'll do more Instagram lives. Yeah, maybe more of that stuff. Um, You can also follow us on Twitter, but I don't post there that much because Twitter is a trash fire and I just can't handle it all the time. It's hard to be on there for the mental and emotional well-being. Yeah, so mostly follow us on Instagram. We have two new patrons to shout out. Thank you, Melissa and Veronica, for sustaining the show with your contributions. We're so glad you're here. Other people can check out our Patreon to get early access to episodes and to be part of our Discord group. You can become a Patreon patron for $1 or more a month. Or if that's not really an option financially, hit us up and we can add you to the Discord. Just send us a DM, an email, whatever. Um, You can leave us a tip on coffee or buy books from our bookshop affiliate page. All this stuff helps financially support the show. Also, just let people know about us. We're always happy to have more people be a part of our cozy little book oven. And please, if you have not already gotten a chance to do so, please take the survey that we have going on. The link is in the show notes. And we want to do the survey because we want to get our audience get to know our audience better and we want your feedback so that we can make informed decisions about the future of the show also 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 congrats jesse 
official professional book witch, a.k.a. librarian, masters of library and information science from the top fucking program in the country. <laughs> so uh, thank you. I got to I got to put that in here. I'm here for all your library needs now. <laughs> Ask me for book recommendations, please, so I can use my degree. <laughs> initial reactions um it took me a little while to get pulled into the story it's been a while since i'd read the other books in the series obviously because that was all the way back at episode 10 oh my god i didn't realize it was so far away <laughs> and now it makes sense that i had forgotten so much um and then there was a lot of traveling which um if you <laughs> have been listening to this show for any amount of time you probably know i don't really enjoy <laughs> <laughs> but in the end I really enjoyed the story and how everything wrapped up for our cast of characters and now I'm looking forward to reading any other things Saba Tahir writes if she decides to write more so um, I enjoyed it in the end it just took me a little while to get back into it what about you? Um, I had a similar reflection um, it took me a couple hundred pages to hit like the reading stride um, but then I feel like I was really picking up the emotional beats you know that Saba was putting in there and you know getting to the rhythm of the like uh, chapter cliffhangers because it changes like by character POV in each chapter um, but then after a while I really I had needed to find out what happened to the characters and so on brand I stayed up late and finished the book because I was like I need to know and I couldn't agree with you more like I'm definitely supporting Saba Tahir with whatever she decides to write slash do next take my money all it's all things. yours <laughs> All right, so we've gotten some feedback from people on the survey, and we are incorporating it to change a little bit of the episode structure. So we're going to put some the recommend if you like and uh, talk a little bit about why we chose this book at the top of the podcast. So if people don't like can't listen to the whole thing or need to duck out early or just looking for recs, they don't have to listen. wait to listen to the end. So recommend if you like. I think government resistance stories like The Hunger Games and Star Wars, you probably like this book or would like those things in addition. I also think um, Victoria Aveyard's books, um, Red Queen, it's a lot about, also about revolution. I haven't read those, but I've heard really good things. Um, story about fae or fairies with badass lady characters like The Cruel Prince or Akatar. Um, this is kind of these books, the fairies are different than the ones that we see in Tabatahir's books. But I think, um, you know, if you want, if you like fairy tales from other places that are not just like white, then you'll like Tahir's books. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then I would also say We Hunt the Flame, super badass fighting characters. Um, we're actually going to be reading the next book soon for the podcast. Um, we Free the Stars. Oh, I love that book so much. One of my top books from last year. So We Hunt the Flame by Hafsa Fazil. Read that book. Um, and I will be very happy. <laughs> and then why we chose the book. Um, well, finishing out the series that we started like way early on um, when we started the podcast project. So that's kind of one of the things is to be able to like tie a little bow around that. Mm -hmm. um, anything else? I mean, I think also, I think that we make an effort to make sure that our <laughs> our TBRs are fairly diverse. So uh, if you're looking at the series episodes for this upcoming season, you're going to see a wide array of authors and 
not as many white authors as we've had in the past. Um, and, and that so- is on purpose, friends. <laughs> on purpose. Very much on purpose. Um, so um, for me, I hadn't read a book. Like when we read Ember in the Ashes initially, I hadn't read a book that had taken place um, in you know Southeast Asia. And I hadn't read a book with other kinds of fairy tales so um mm-hmm. for me it, i was really excited to read something that wasn't you know just our normal white fairy tales exactly and and that like it really does weave together all of the parts of why fantasy that i like absolutely adore you know the magic the um developing yourself concept slash ego death slash coming back more powerful than ever and like those sorts of character arcs um also when we first read it i was like damn i'm really here for how this book is um engaging with colonialism and Mm -hmm. uh imperialism yeah uh so yeah that was the definitely one of the initial things that i was like oh yeah this book is saying like saba has some things to say and i want to follow these characters and enemies to lovers at the beginning. So I was like, Ooh, you know, I love it. <laughs> you got me. You got me there. <laughs> that's all. It's really all you had to say, honestly. <laughs> Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. As I mentioned at the top, there is so much traveling happening in this story. Um, I think Saba Tahir does a good job of kind of showing us how big the kingdom is. And it's used as a way to show how many people have been affected by Karis and the Nightbringer. But obviously the traveling parts weren't my favorite. Um, But I do think it does a really good job of showing like the destruction of war and like how it affects so many people and so many places. And especially when you're like trying to think of like, I think they said Karis's army had 40,000 troops. Like to me, that's an unimaginable number of people. Um, So kind of using the traveling and how far they could go and how long it would take them to get places kind of helped like cement that in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of like military strategy talk in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was like almost picture picturing this like map, you know, like one of those 3d maps with their moving their little figurines around um, <laughs> <laughs> like in D and D or whatever, or game of Thrones. Um, there's, I, I, I think that um, the map was really helpful for this then for me. Cause I could like, look at it and see where I was um even though like I didn't do that that much let's be honest I was just like (laughs) I need to know what happens (laughs) um and I was just like okay uh I think I remember how this goes (laughs) um and then also thanks for wind walking like excellent narrative like expediency exposition technique like I like when those sorts of things are like this makes sense in the logic of the story and it's very helpful as a narrative technique so yeah I kind of I like that I should mention, like, I didn't use the map that's in the book very much. Like, I have the book and I have the map, but I don't, like, I love maps. They're really pretty in books, but I don't refer back to them because I barely can use a map in real life. So, like, (laughs) (laughs) thank you for the maps, but I will not be referring back to them. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Um, I think the book also does a really good job of showing how horrible war can be. I think sometimes like within our society it's really glorified um and i think saba to here doesn't shy away from showing you know the loss that happens like the people that are affected the way communities are affected by war and i really appreciated that from the book um even though i personally i'm like no war is not good 
for the most part, like most of the time. Um, but you kind of see like there are reasons like why war happens, but like there are also huge consequences to to doing that and being part of that mechanism. Yeah, and I think throughout the whole series, Saba Tahir has really gone really done a good job showing like the generations long legacy because all mm-hmm. of the thing with the Mahera Maharia. I for, I forgot how you pronounce it. I'll go I'll look it up. Um Maharia. 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 M E R anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally opening the book right now. I will find it right now. Nightbringer. Uh Maharia. M E H E R Y A. Maharia. So um what was I saying about him? War, something about war, something about war. war. Oh yeah, generational. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. just going. Well, obviously, there's the backstory, which mm-hmm. I'm into. You loved. <laughs> I I loved. I was like, give me all those exposition chapters with that villain backstory. Um, but yeah, so we're seeing seeing it from all these different type, different points of view of people who are on all different sides of the conflict and have been for generations, and just like the way that they teases teases out these threads of like complicity, responsibility, um, redemption or not, uh, just like that's really well done chronologically throughout the entire story, and then also like geophysic, like geo, uh, what am I trying to say? geopolitically you know because it's like it's all the whole everything that's going on has a history behind it that's like Mm -hmm. constructed in the logic of the book um so anyway it's just like all very well buttressed by excellent writing and really well thought through lots of callbacks to some to folklore um yeah i don't know why that was about war but but yeah. it is it's fine it is <laughs> just like the and there is a, a commentary signif- like a significant commentary throughout the book that like if we just keep reacting then this is what's going to happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then we see people who are trying to like break the break the wheel yeah and at the same time like i think the story does a good job of showing that like sometimes like maybe war is necessary you know like there are good reasons that you know like in this story the um, tribes people aren't being well taken care of and they're not really like accepted into society or like their views are not being respected and like the scholars had been slaves so, so we, I think the book also does a good job of showing that you know sometimes violence is necessary mm-hmm. <laughs> but diversity like, of you, tactics yeah but like also it should probably be with good reason <laughs> yeah and that if it's if it's if it's I mean, it has consequences, like the ripple effect is, we see that throughout. Let's discuss all things magic. So Laia can use her magic to protect others now by making them invisible. That was pretty cool and pretty useful. Like, I don't remember that from the other books. I think she just learned it in this one when she had, like, joined with Raymat. Um, so that was pretty cool. That is cool. We, I like that we got to see, like, Laia unlock another level of her of her powers because she had just been able to do it to herself right mm-hmm. okay. i think so yeah um, um did you see the ramat thing coming like uh i feel like i should have but i did not you know i think sabah here did a really good job because um laya initially was referring to ramat as it because laya didn't know what it was 
And then she was like, Laya was like, Rayma is so annoying and so stubborn. Must be a man. (laughs) (laughs) So I was just like, okay. Um, And then turns out it was the Nightbringer's like former wife or whatever. So yeah, I didn't see it coming, but I think Saba Tahir did such a good job of like how we like think about people and things with showing how Laya thought of Rayma that I was like, yeah, I didn't see that coming in at all. (laughs) No, me either. It was like we were really there from Laya's position positionality and mm-hmm. her point perspective and we were just like um oh this makes sense <laughs> and then it, so it does like add another little bit of this like chosen one flavor mm-hmm. um which is neither a good nor a bad thing yeah and i mean i think we kind of knew that going in because there's like all these prophecies that obviously are surrounding like elias helena and laia um but at the same time it also seemed like maybe like Raymond took over like parts of Raymond is is in like a lot of different people so like they all right. have like a little bit of magic or whatever so maybe it could have been someone else like chosen mm-hmm. one but also could have chosen someone else <laughs> yeah 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 um do we still don't know how, how to pronounce moth mouth <laughs> oh you know what I just listened to the audiobook so I think it's I don't know I can't say it, remember say I'll, it mouth mouth i don't know no i don't know i don't know (laughs) i was also sitting at 2.2.5 like 2.25 the speed so like things are said very quickly (laughs) (laughs) and who knows how it's actually pronounced at Mm -hmm. 1.1 speed Mm -hmm. um but there's like this storm of suffering and how like moth mouth is like this primordial soup of like potential energy basically like magic and it's like looking for balance now and so it's been out of balance with the nightbringer and and also the scholars and then the nightbringer again and then here we are with a storm a large storm of suffering hence the title and um everyone was dreaming about it it was scary i don't really remember what happened to the storm like did it just dissipate yeah, kind of. I think, okay, I think it's mouth. I think it's like a T sound. Yeah. But um, I'm like trying to remember how I heard it, you know, Um, but he's like the god of death, basically. And then I think he kind of like takes the storm back in once they, Ray Mott like helps, you know, the Nightbringer realize the bad stuff that he's done or whatever. And so. then imprisons him. Yeah. But, like, they're together, so, like, that's kind of what she promised him anyways. You know, because, like, the the djinn make prophecies when they die. So that was kind of... I mean, it was interesting, like, story. I would, I didn't know what was going to happen with the Nightbringer at the end. Especially because I was like, oh, this storm's not happening. And then it fucking did. <laughs> it definitely happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was... Um, I really enjoyed how, like, the cosmic or, like, god, divine, magical like storyline is super superimposed on the like human storyline mm-hmm. um but i thought it like came to a satisfying conclusion you yeah know, to have sure. something that you've drawn out over four books and i think she i and i was reading in the acknowledgments and she said it she's been doing it the story for 13 years oh so wow it's like damn kudos yeah yeah pretty cool um there's also elias makes this magical transition to the soul catcher in previous books and then when we see him becoming Elias again 
uh, in this book, and we can he has that like battle back and forth, and you can see in his eyes when he's like is himself versus isn't himself, and you know Laya is there like trying to draw him out of his his shell, um, and the whole trick to like him getting there is not suppressing his emotions or his humanity anymore, and I just like could not help thinking about Vampire Diaries <laughs> because <laughs> I have been watching the Vampire Diaries for the first time, and there's just this is exactly what's like make Stefan a serial killer sometimes like spoilers for this I don't know 15 year old show <laughs> okay well that's I don't think it's that old <laughs> <laughs> maybe 10 years old I don't know um but just like hum- the idea of that humanity is being able to like feel empathy and that mean and also to like feel like the highs and the lows like you don't get the highs without the lows and vice versa and like you have to let in the suffering and the joy um, and so then like the running away from the feelings and the suppressing it, which Mott lets Elias, that's like one of the things that Elias gets from Mott when he gets like possessed by him and becomes the soul catcher. Um, but I don't know, like, I'm not fully persuaded of this idea that maybe it's not that I'm not persuaded, but like humanity as in like the good quote unquote in humans as like our ability to connect and to feel things profoundly. Um, but like plenty of people like, like Dr. Saidia Hartman and others have said that have shown that, you know, there are like lots of limits to empathy and mm-hmm. that empathy can be weaponized by depending on who it's used by and for which purposes. So I don't know. How do you feel about this? I don't know. I'm like a more of a turn your emotions off kind of person. So I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'm team Stefan. No, I'm not actually. I'm team Damon. So like, don't, don't, don't anyone like think otherwise. Um, (laughs) Red flags all over the place. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a hard thing because I'm like, Mouth is like forcing this on Elias. It's not really what he wants. Like, I don't think he wants to like suppress these emotions. Like he does when he's a soul catcher, but only because Mouth has like, forced him to you and know it lets like, him fulfill his role that someone else gave him better yeah like it makes him a better soul catcher or whatever but then at the same time they're kind of like oh but like you didn't even realize stuff was going wrong until Kane gave you back your memories or whatever so maybe it's more about like having memories and experiences is what makes us human as opposed to like our feelings mm, I see yeah yeah and also because like like being in the tension of it is also very human yeah exactly we have no answers here we don't know (laughs) (laughs) no answers just Just the things about just ruminations (laughs) here (laughs) all right let's talk about conflict villains good and evil in get me kylo ren i feel like all the villains of this story are kind of victims of their past to an extent that said, I still really hate Karis, and I was really glad when she died. I was like, yes, kill her. But at the same time, I was like, damn, like, everyone has had, like, this terrible backstory. So you kind of understand, like, how people become the villains. And it's like, <laughs> I watched this, um, like, okay, so John and Hank Green, like, do these, like, vlogs daily or something. I don't really know. Someone, like, recommended it to me because I'm obsessed with Hank Green now. Um, he's my, like, new celebrity crush. And um, he's not even like, I don't even, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm but looking anyways. up who that is. I don't know who that is. Hold on. John Green. 
Okay, John Green wrote The Fault in Our Stars, and then Hank Green is his brother, who I think actually has um, Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, one of the two. Um, ah, and Hank would. Green does you would. a lot of... Oh my yeah. God, Hank, you would. <laughs> Hank Green does like a lot of stuff on TikTok, and he's really funny, and he does like science-y stuff and like history, like all kinds of stuff. He's just like really smart. Um, so like I'm obsessed with him, obviously. Um, but anyways, he did this like video recently about like how villains are treated in like talking about movies in particular and how like a lot of times like the reason that they're villains is actually because they think that they can fix all the problems on their own like they obviously understand there's a systemic problem but the real issue is that they don't try and like do group help (laughs) they're like i can fix it i know what to do yeah no collective solutions exactly and so i really like that and that kind of i thought of that as i was like thinking about the villains in this story like they all like you understand why they became villains like you understand like what what their issue was like you understand why the nightbringer was like fuck all these people i'm about to murder everyone because they murdered like my kids and my family and my people or whatever mm-hmm. and so but the problem is he didn't like try and fix it he was just like revenge 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 so anyways yeah um i'll i'll link to the video the hank, hank green explains it better than me <laughs> i really like that you brought that in though because it seems like really like perfectly aligned and connected with um what the series is exploring um like what are the ways forward like how do we get here you know the systemic analysis of how we got here which i feel like we see the characters coming to you know through their own experiences and their connections to each other yeah and we like kind of see like between Laya and Helene and um, Elias, like they kind of are working with the different groups of people and like um, the tribes people are like, Helene, we're not going to be on your side if you're not going to like renegotiate like the way that we all work together. And she's like, got it. We'll do that. You know, like we're going to work together as a group, as a community, as opposed to like Helene, just like laying down the law and deciding what to do and like what is right. So um, I really like that aspect of the book of people like working together to try and find like the best solution for everyone, as opposed to like one person being like, I got this, I'll figure it out. Yeah. It's like the, it's the difference between power with and power over sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was also glad when Karis died. I was like, it has to. She has to. Ugh, yeah. Like, I mean, I was very happy. <laughs> I'm a vengeful person. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Karis. Just kidding. I mean, uh, you're not wrong. I mean, <laughs> maybe Mira. Like, let me just say I'm yeah. Mira instead. Like, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more. That I a would agree better. with that. I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Karis, and so she. When I, I just really think Sabatier excelled at like the making the villains understandable and like legible and um like that that tension that we like with a villain you know between it's like the asco you know like the disgust or the repulsion and the like um like I want to know more why are you the way you are I can't look away sort of thing. Um, I think that she does that really well and that they're and it's just like so thought out and poignant and everything because Karis and Meheira or the night bringing are Meheria are connected by suffering. So like their their past and these things that have happened to them, which is basically what you were just explaining. Um, and then that the experience of being like feeling separate and feeling vengeful comes from that experience of suffering and I don't know. I've been trying to like meditate and get my shit together a little bit. So 
I've been listening to some Tara Brock and Buddhism has a lot to say about this. Actually, it's really interesting um, that like about like the illusion of suffering or how like to what degree we participate in suffering. And it's just something that I that. I don't know, it's been on my mind and it, it does seem like the the book is is delving into it, too. Yeah, for sure. I think we talked about that. We've been kind of touching on this a little bit as we've been going through, but there's this theme of responsibility and facing the suffering one has caused, like the bad things one has done. Um, and that like runs through the whole series, and I see it especially in this book. So we get Spiro Telumon on page 209. He's the forger of these Seric steel blades. Um, talks about his complicity with tyrants until his family was directed, directly affected and how he has to live with that. Um, and then on page 403 and 404, I thought I really like this exchange between Hel- Eli- Elias <laughs> Elias, and Helene, um, where he's just kind of getting real with her and being like, there's always a reason that something isn't our fault. And mm-hmm. so they are both marshals and were brought up that way and came up in Blackcliff and have done terrible shit and was talking about like, yeah, it feels bad to take responsibility for what their people have done. And I feel like lots of settlers could take (laughs) a minute to think about that also. And white people, obviously. But just the, I don't know. I I like that they're talking about, that that it's like actually explicit. They're being like, yeah, it feels bad because all that stuff was terrible. Guess who it felt worse for? The people who it happened to. Okay? So, like, let's be honest. It's, It's a matter of perspective. And like, not perspective, but it's like a matter of what I'm trying to say. Like, it's like a difference of degree. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the literal least you can do is take responsibility for what happened. Exactly. Um, and then Elias talking to his dead dad about Mount and taking his suffering and memories and emotions away and how that like really helped him. That was what let him step away. You know, the sort of numbing or dissociating. Um, and yeah, man, Sabatahir is really hitting it hard. Ugh, I thought I was going to cry a, th- a couple times during the book. And I was like, oh, I was not ready for this. <laughs> the emotions. I know. No, thank you. Please turn me into the soul catcher. <laughs> <laughs> and bring Lainey. Yeah, bring Lainey. Yeah, it'll never work because I can't be without my cat. <laughs> <laughs> Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. So I don't really remember the Karakans from the first, any of the other books. Um, But as I was reading this one, I was just like, what is with this depiction of them? I felt like a little off about it like they're doing like these blood rites or whatever and obviously they're doing some like real shady shit like they're not good people um or at least you know the ones that we see are not but there was also like this kind of depiction of them as like quote-unquote savages almost and I was just like feeling a little weird about it I don't know what you thought about that I see what you mean um about like the way the way it's getting depicted it reminded me about the characterization and like the racial coding of the wildlings the racial ethnic coding of the wildlings in game of thrones right so they're from a northern territory wearing like skins or hides or whatever it's a patriarchal society um 
so yeah, it was like it, it was using a lot of these codes for what quote unquote things that are backwards are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's something that we've been put that we put into question and other people have been putting into question for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so like <laughs> I was just imagining like these white people with dreads wandering around <laughs> with like oh, loincloths on <laughs> because they like are described as with pale skin. Oh, are they? I must have missed that. Yeah. I didn't think that they were. So I was just like, what is going on here? But y'all can talk about white people. Exactly. Want, I don't care. Exactly. So that's what it was. That's what it was. And so this reminded me of this, <laughs> of the whole discourse on Twitter. I'm not sure if you saw it about like white people being gross and not bathing. Like this woman. Posted. Oh, like not washing your legs. Exactly. I'm, I mean, not let me not call you out. I don't know that you do that. But like, yeah, it's on TikTok too. And I'm just like, it's so what? like this whole discourse, you know, about like, and then what's ridiculous and so hypocritical about it is like whiteness, white supremacy, the construct is so aligned with this idea of purity and not being dirty and like the one drop and it extends to like blood quantum and all this shit. Um, and it's just like, and y'all are over here not washing your legs. It's so funny because like <laughs> the first time I heard of this was in the show that I love called You're the Worst. Like they're all terrible people, but it's a great show. Um, I mean, they literally tell you they're bad people um but she was like i'm gonna go take a shower it might be a while i have to wash my legs and like the guy she's with is what he was like you mean shave your legs and she's like no wash my legs and he's like what do you mean you don't wash your legs like you're already in there and she's like the water just runs over it it's clean and i'm like is this a real thing people do and i found out it's true it is it is a thing people do i don't know don't i'm not saying that i haven't been, i'm not i'm not oh denying God. i'm not denying <laughs> <laughs> i have inside information i have e- i have recon from the other side from the white side oh my god <laughs> i say that like i don't have a it's white side but i always wash my here. legs <laughs> i wash my legs every day <laughs> you know what? ever since reading that i'm like i take i pay more attention to washing my legs that's for sure <laughs> ever since, like looking at this and i'm like damn okay yeah <laughs> Okay, well, you know what? If the Karakans are white, then I don't care. <laughs> no, they're definitely they're definitely coded as white. Okay, I did not or realize that. Skin. I did not think they were. And then I was just kind of like, wait, what's going on here? Like, who are these people? And like, why is Helene like a white person being like, you know, making like these remarks? But if they're white, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it was like inter-white fighting. Okay, yeah, that's none of my business. <laughs> white <laughs> on white crime? Uh, you mean crime? <laughs> <laughs> exactly (laughs) oh my god so we'll link to it there's a you know a lot of good recap articles and medium things in the (laughs) that we'll link to i got some links i got some tiktok (laughs) (laughs) and like the whole idea about like white people need to know what washcloths are oh my god i don't even want to talk about it (laughs) (laughs) we're done (laughs) Uh. um anyway speaking of more shenanigans Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the Potter and back to the book that we're talking about, which is <laughs> in a fantasy world. We don't know if they wash their legs. Um, the Karkins clearly don't wash their legs or their hair. Um, on so like on this other class line, right? So the Karkins don't seem to. It seems to be like a kind of classless society, except for like these priest caste cast. That's like the Grimoire, Grimoire or whatever. whatever. But I didn't remember him from the last book, or so I was just kind of like, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> he was the big bad from number three. I don't remember that at uh, all. Okay, I mean, it was a it was like two years ago. It was ago. like three years ago. Yeah, yeah, so it was a while. Um, so like we see the, these like illustrious families are the gens are still trying to clutch onto power, 
and we're seeing a few changes happening and we mostly see this from Helene's perspective because she's you know in relationship with the more of these potters Mm -hmm. um and they're like obviously hanging their hat on the empire hoping it survives um but otherwise it seems like the violent like the, the war kind of it almost has this like suspension of class distinction moment because everyone's like trying to survive but like not everyone has the same capabilities or technologies weapons whatever in order to be able to do so um so i don't know well and i think we see like probably like we see the scholars in the room like in the war room when helene is like talking and stuff and um and some other groups of people who i don't remember i don't remember all the groups but um and some of the patters are like you know fuck the scholars whatever like they shouldn't be here and then helene like literally punches that dude in the face and i was like (laughs) yes (laughs) um that was great because like you could see how there's like obviously some like classism or racism i can't i'm not really sure like if they're different like they look different i don't remember i don't remember a lot today okay but um (laughs) i'm just blaming on my meds and not on me it's all good (laughs) (laughs) um but at the same so i think we kind of see like the classes like coming together in a way that they haven't before and like the tribes people are finally being represented um and helene is like not having any of that bullshit which is like a real 360 for not 360 180 for her (laughs) because um like i really hated her back in the day and now i'm like okay she's doing okay she punched that guy in the face all right this is some character development yeah and she like really came around you know um Mm -hmm. i was real sad when avitas died though oh my god i was like why can't helene i mean maybe she doesn't deserve to be happy i did hate her before so you know but he seemed like a nice guy yeah and he seemed like a nice compliment to like her yeah Bur- like brusque like i yeah. don't have feelings mm-hmm. like give me my physical mask back <laughs> yeah like like in a quite phys- not even metaphorical it's a literal mask yeah a literal mask i mean this is not shipwreck so i don't know why we're talking this, <laughs> but i just wanted to say i was sad when he died <laughs> yes you're very sad when he died well i mean that has to do with class too because his dad was a plebeian oh and, and yeah Karis is an illustrian yeah. And so like the whole reason he was killed was because of like this interclass relationship that they had. Yes. And yes. So like I think it's all connected. I think that's the whole fucking yeah. point of our <laughs> of the <this> section. <laughs> and the whole podcast. Everything's connected. We just didn't realize it while we were reading. Right. <laughs> and and uh, I like how you were going through that. Helene's trying to change XYZ and, you know, ABC and all this stuff because it is they're like con- they're so part and parcel, right? Because she's also um like the gender roles are getting questioned, class, ethnic, racial segregation, all these sorts of things, colonial status, you know, all of these are getting like they're, it's, there's a, a rupture moment. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we see like in one part, I think they're like in a war room or something and the p- Patters and Delphinium are in doubt in the ability of women to lead a successful uprising because like Helene is like about to go there and be like, they're like, there aren't only women there. And she's like, the fucking women can handle this shit like shut up (laughs) like just shut up so um we kind of see like yeah like a reversal of of gender roles happening as you know more women come into power both good and bad (laughs) yeah exactly and so i mean that is the double-sided coin of this imperator invictus figure with Karis on the one hand and then helene on the other 
you know so it is this like symbology related to the empire and like anytime there's like empire imperialism involved as like a uh, like a white settler on myself you know in turtle island and b like a phd about essentially settler shenanigans because i studied spain and that's like so i don't know anytime i'm like Anytime there's like stuff that's like yay empire, I'm like, hold on a second, let's yeah, like yeah. pump the brake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we may need to investigate this a little more. <laughs> yeah, clearly there's no like, I, I like how to Sabatahir is like, I'm not even gonna argue or like bother justifying or deigning to like try and reason with y'all. I just like, no women. There's like equal opportunity to be oppressors and oppressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this earlier on, and I think it's an, a crucial point um, about the treaties with the tribes and how they're like, um, we need to negotiate, renegotiate these treaties. So um, let's talk about treaties for a second. What do you know about what do you know about treaties? Nothing except that they don't mean anything most of the time because we're like, I mean, we, you know, white people are like, fuck you. We'll do whatever we want. <laughs> Pretty much. That's what that's what I know about treaties. Uh, that yeah, the U.S. state is they're very they decide whether or not to honor them, you know. Yeah, and they don't most of the time. Exactly. So I'm trying to find. I currently have in my hands, uh, Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation, which is a book by Nick Estes, Melanie K. Yazzie, Jennifer Nez Dennettdale, and David Correa. Um, they are Nick Estes and Melanie K. Yazzie and these people are behind the effort called Red Media and also the Red Nation podcast the Red Nation in general and they come up with this book called The Red Deal like as a response to the Green New Deal and stuff so like this is where I'm definitely learning from uh, all these people about my brethren settler shenanigans speaking of uh, responsibility so yeah there are hundreds of treaties that the u.s has signed with indigenous nations and has like time and time and time again just completely broken or ignored and uh just like man i don't don't even know what to say here i don't even know like i don't know that there is much to say other than like when we're making these so-called treaties we probably need to like follow through with them you know right i don't know yeah i mean i don't speak for indigenous people so what do they want that's what we need to know (laughs) exactly and so that's why i'm looking to like these voices you know and and just being like okay we basically need to question literally everything something where i think that sabati here um like the att- I really appreciate that she put attention on this point where um, she's saying that you can't just write villains and violent folks off as like quote unquote insane. And this mm-hmm. has been a thing that we've talked about on the podcast mm-hmm. before. Um, but like on this point, Laya is speaking truth on page 363 when she's talking about the Nightbringer and says it's not madness that grips him. It is intent. He wants to destroy everything. I think he's hiding that fact from his kin, yet he claims to love them. He does love them. And this makes me think about like the the idea. Sarah Ahmed talks about this in the book, The Cultural Politics of Emotion, about how love is used by like white supremacist and or fascist groups or like this this um, supposedly good, quote unquote, emotion can actually be the impetus behind a lot of really terrible shit. 
Um, so like, I just appreciate how, man, I don't, I'm just like, as I'm sitting here talking about it, having this conversation, I'm like, fuck, Sabat Tahir like knew what she was doing, knows what she's doing and is like, has things to say. And I just, yeah, for sure, man, I just appreciate that it's in this form and with these characters. And I just think it's so like, this is the best, I don't know, deconstruction of the idea that you can just call someone in, an insane like I don't know you can call someone like Donald Trump insane or whatever mm-hmm. and have that suffice as like a critique yeah and that's not the case not at all it, and and in some ways it takes away like their agency you know that's really what it's doing and I think people maybe people feel more comfortable with that because then they're like well it's just something I can't understand like I can't understand why people would do x y or z so they must be crazy and that's not really looking at the issues you know and it's like well no they they know what's going on. They know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. They're doing it on purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's intent, people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No matter how they try to justify it, whether it's yeah. by love, you know, mm-hmm. like that's the kind of yeah. the point that I think yeah. that it just illustrates so well. Finally, it's time for shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. I think because I just finished Shadow and Bone and it like reminded <laughs> me of that third book. Um, spoilers, I guess. That book is old. Um, but Ly- YA loves to say the world might end and we should make sure we have sex first <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> like we get a scene with Laya and Elias and then we get another one with Helene and Harper. And I was just like don't shouldn't y'all be sleeping or something like you need to be prepared for tomorrow (laughs) exactly they need the endorphins okay i guess so but i was just like i don't know what it is about ya but they're like the world's end we have to have sex (laughs) (laughs) they're like there will be no other there's no time like the present and i mean i guess for helene and harper that was true right sad sad face emoji but um yeah i was just like okay and i i didn't i was like the the for some reason those were like the only times where i was like wait are these things happening at the same time like what is the timeline going on here i was very confused and i was just like okay like these these chapters don't really matter anyways like they're not adding to the story they're for like the character arcs and for like the, um, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. emotional beats that like the readers are expecting right because i would have yeah, been disappointed if i didn't get it to be fair oh see i was just like i would have like if Elias and Laya had had some like big emotional conversation and same with Helene and Harper, I would have been fine with that. And I was just like, okay. I mean, it's fine either way. I was just kind of like not expecting it. And I think because the other books have like not that much Mm -hmm. in them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I I actually thought like there were scenes that were very sexy, but they weren't like the sex scenes, you know? Oh no. I mean, they're like YA sex scenes, you know, they're no, yeah, yeah. they're like, they're fade out. Talia Hibbert. No, no, no. It's none of that. Um, but that I, <laughs> you're so right that the world's going to end and we, we got to do it first. Let's bone. It's fine. It really is. It's just like a funny <laughs> trope that I have noticed happening more and more. <laughs> um, and you brought this up that it's Helene and Harper and Laya and Elias. And I think Musa talks to both of them, talks to Helene and Laya at some point, like Musa, the matchmaker. Yeah. He's like, He's like, don't make the mistakes I have made, young ones. Please go go and get thee some while thee can. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I also liked it at the end, like Musa and Helene seem to have like formed this kind of like friendship where they both lost someone that they loved. And like, I don't know what's going to happen with them in the future. Like maybe they'll be together or whatever. But I also like the idea of them just being friends. I thought that was just like kind of a sweet like ending for like if she's like if if oh my God, like stab in my heart, like if she's going to kill Harper then like I was at least glad that Helene got like a little bit of a companion at the end like you're saying yeah yeah exactly especially because like I know she had had these like big feelings for Elias in the past which she mentions so it's kind of nice to see her like move on from that and like you know hold no grudges against Lai or anything and just like kind of have this like friendship with Musa that was sweet I don't know if we need to talk about Helene and Harper star-crossed lovers yeah, I guess so. I felt bad. I was real sad when he died. Also, I guess I didn't mention it earlier. Oh, it's for later. Never mind. Also, be careful if you're going to have sex in a pool. Apropos what? of Helene and Harper, where they had sex in the pool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a public space, so, like, maybe don't. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I'm just kidding. People do whatever you want. I don't I'm really just, care. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, like so much more conscious of germs now than I ever was because of COVID. So like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah. I used to work at a pool for a long time. So friends, I think the chlorine kills a lot of stuff. It's true. But like, I mean, let's be honest. The decks are not that clean. Oh no. And I recently learned that you can get like this weird eye thing. If you wear your contacts in the pool. So like, don't wear your contacts in the pool. Oh, I definitely no used idea. to swim with my contacts. Me in. too. Didn't oh my know. God. I know. No. <laughs> See, so don't do that um all right be safe anyways yes um lies and elias end up together in the end they're gonna get married it's real sweet like they want to have kids and do the whole the whole thing um fine um but i was real happy they ended up together because i like you know been shipping them this whole time yeah it was it was fine it was nice to see like elias gradually come back and be like oh yeah laya yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's just it's what i wanted so i'm just glad they got their happy ending now we're going to talk about writing style narration characterization plot structure and basically whatever else comes to mind in kill your darlings so i really appreciated this scene where the blood strike realizes there are other kinds of strength and physical strength and i don't think she like realized it in this book but she has like slowly realized it over time so she's trying to like emulate Laya when dealing with emotional things and how Laya would treat people or help people like she's like what would Laya do <laughs> and i just thought that was really cool to see because i think in the beginning we kind of see her as this like brusque kind of like non-emotional character like she's in love with elias but she'd like never tell him or whatever um and she's like very strong like physically strong and capable so it was kind of cool to see her be like trying to learn her like emotional intelligence (laughs) yeah she is growing and developing in this whole other way Mm -hmm. because she really was she really was bought into the like proximity to power you know Mm -hmm. and like you crush your emotions you do whatever you need to do you follow orders all that shit you don't question things, etc. But yeah, I appreciated this and like their friendship. Obviously, Laya and Helene have become closer as they're like traveling together. And I really hated Helene before, so seeing them like come together <laughs> and be like friends, even though they like the same dude, was was nice. It was yeah. a nice turn, like yeah. nice change of pace from our usual tropes. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't have to be like catty or any of that yeah. bullshit. Yeah, so I appreciated that. 
Um, we've talked a little bit about this, but like Sava is out here killing her darlings with Darren mm. and Harper and Livia. I mean, thankfully she left us our three main characters, but that scene where she kills Livia, like, oh my God, I was, they were having their, Helene and Livia were having their nice conversation, playing with the baby. And then all of a sudden Karis is in the room slitting her throat. And I was just like, holy crap, what is going on? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. When Darren died, I was like tearing up a little bit. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if she was going to kill off like Elia. Elia. <laughs> oh, my God. Both of them, I guess. Elia or Elias. <laughs> yeah, oh well, gosh. luckily she didn't. But I wasn't sh- I wasn't sure. But I feel like, you know, it would have been a big deal. I feel like I would have heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> there would have been spoilers out there on the Internet. Yeah, yeah. Which I have successfully avoided for months. <laughs> What did you think about Cook slash the lioness slash Lia's mom coming back? In my opinion, it seemed a tad too convenient. And maybe it's just because I was like real Russian the last part. because I was like, I need to know what happens. I feel like I kind of missed where the exposition was about how that all worked. Apparently, Helene knew about it and was like hiding her, hiding Mira, uh, Lia's mom. But like when it happened, I was like, I thought she came out of the maelstrom and was like a ghost, you know, or something. And then realized like she was real and then she becomes a soul catcher. So she like takes Elias's place, which is like kind of nice. Cause then Lia can like see her mom or whatever. And Elias can be with Lia. But yeah, I also thought it was like a little too convenient and I kind of would have been happy to have Helene kill, um, Karis. Like that also feels like if any of our big three main characters had killed Karis, I felt like it would have been justified. Yeah. Um, but her mom coming back, I was like, I was like, this isn't even real. <laughs> <laughs> so I did not. I was like, I was just like coming. a little, I don't know, thrown off kilter a little bit by that. Yeah. No, I agree. I I think we just got to shout out some excellent writing. Like some of these scenes in here. So well done. Like she can go from like, Sabatier can go from like the nitty gritty, like super violent Helene crawling through the pit of bodies and scaling the wall and then dueling Grimar and like breaking the rules of the duel and just like killing him because she doesn't give a fuck. Respect. Actually, she gives a lot of fucks, actually. <laughs> yeah, all the fucks. <laughs> um, the mango scene with Lia mm-hmm. and Elias. Oh, I thought that mm-hmm. was such a good scene. That was so sensual and sexy and just like so good. Um, And then Livia's death. I thought that was a really good scene. Anything stand out to you that you want to talk about writing wise? Not in particular, but I did think like as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is so well written. Like young people these days are just getting such good books and I'm like so happy for them. Like, ugh, I don't think I had writing like this when I was a young person. So no. I'm like, yes, please. More, more, more. The caliber is just like off the charts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And young people deserve the uh, the very best. So I'm just so glad that they're, like you said, just want to echo that and just be like, this, it's so important that these stories are out there. Yeah. Agreed. I noticed a few um, hashtag smells like YA moments throughout the book. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) As one does. There's a lot of, I'm I'm noticing some threads. I saw rain. I saw cedar. Mm -hmm. I saw citrus. So maybe it's a little spice. Yeah. Around there. All good smells. All very good smells. All very good yeah. smells, but it's it's just it's just funny how it gets added in there. I think like writers feel like we need like these sense perceptions like 
ignited or whatever but the smells like just never really do it for me very much although okay i'll take that back in the next episode (laughs) (laughs) so let me just say that i think i think it has to be done in a specific way and we'll get to Mm -hmm. that done yeah cliffhanger cliffhanger dun 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 Before we end, it's time for Real Talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept, system, or trend that you hadn't before? Well, when I got to the script notes, uh, this section was empty. So As it is, usually. (laughs) (laughs) So here we go. This is yet another segment of Kelly bringing a quote and then seeing what Jesse thinks about Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Stories are living things. I really appreciate love the recuperation of orality and like the emotional connection that we have to stories and how important they are as far as like our construction of both collective and individual identities and so on page 315 mommy mammy mamie mamie rila is schooling us about what it is to be a kahani which is like their um i i think like a a griot would be the like west african equivalent um like the, the person who's charged with telling the stories. Um, so she says, a Kahani can sense a story, feel out its contours, its breath. I do not just speak a story. I sing it. I become it. That is what it means to be a Kahani. All of us trained to tell stories have a bit of magic in our bones. Hmm. Seems profound. Hence why, I cop- <laughs> hence why I put it here. <laughs> Any feelings? Thoughts? I don't know. I'm not much of a storyteller. I'm like, oral storyteller so I don't know but I do love listening to stories so um it makes me think of like a what is it that NPR does story core you know sometimes those are like really cool like listening to people tell their stories or um I love this American life I'm such a sucker for this American life um, <laughs> so good or um on Instagram there's the black archives which are like not story related but they're pictures from Um, black history which I really appreciate so I think there are lots of ways to tell stories and like different ways you can get things from that so I appreciate this I I appreciate your take (laughs) um yeah it just seems like to that it is really a gift you know to like the storytelling isn't for everyone and we do like we consume a lot of stories certainly Mm -hmm. like that's part of our you know the role on the podcast right as we're reading a lot of these and Mm -hmm. your and like just our jobs and interests you know yeah um but just that man we really got to appreciate them because they do like they do a lot of work as far Mm -hmm. as like education and criticism and analysis and just you know all the things we've been talking about throughout the whole episode so yeah for sure we're adding a new section kelly got these cool card question things they're questions on cards um so we're gonna do a card question see what it is we don't know what it is so we can't come prepared for it (laughs) yeah my mom got them for me they're like this little pack of like cards that you ask your book club or whatever and so you just pick from a pack a stack of them and then we'll see what happens let's do it all right kelly what's the question for today at which moment does the major conflict conflict in the book come to an end? Oh. We can pick a different question. <laughs> no, it's a good one because I guess it depends on like what you think of as the major conflict for the whole story. Like, is it... Oh, that's a good like, point. 
Laya and Elias's story? Is it Helene's story? Like, I wouldn't go with Helene's story because, like, she didn't even get her own POV to, like, book two or three. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it when the Nightbringer is finally caught? Is it when Karis dies? I mean, I feel like, to me, the story felt done. Like, I would have been okay if I didn't have anything more added when we found out that... um Mira was going to be the new soul catcher. And so we know that Laya and Elias can be together. Yeah. Karis is dead and, you know, things will be okay. Like after that, we do learn like Elias is going to start training the kids. Laya is becoming the Kahani for um, tribe safe, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, that's kind of when, like, even if we didn't get like Elias's proposal and like all that kind of stuff, like, I would have been okay with that. So that's when the story ended for me. <laughs> Can I pick another one? These are, I want to do another one. Yeah, let's do one more. No, not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> this is like what playing any sort of game with me is like. I'm like, no, I don't like that question. Next. <laughs> um, <meh. laughs> hold on, hold on. Is this the best book you've read on this topic? I mean, uh, I th- I think it's a pretty masterful engagement with colon- colonization and imperialism. Yeah, I would agree to that. Um, and it's one of my favorite series we've read for the show. So, you Agreed. know, it's hard because like YA is not like a topic that I read on. I'm okay. I do read on about it, but like, <laughs> you yeah. know, like in more usual sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's pretty good. I love this book. I, I, I recommend them all the time. Oh, I love this series. Love the book. It's I, I think it's like an evergreen recommendation. Agreed. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Legendborn by Tracy Dion. You will not want to miss this episode. This book is so good. As always, we would love to be in conversation with you, magical people. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything you missed, or just say hi by um, chatting with us in the comments of the show um, of the show notes on our website or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at the library coven. You can subscribe to the library coven on the podcast app of your choice. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other rad people out there. If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon or by shopping on our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Kelly is recording on Cheyenne, Ute, and Arapaho land. Jesse is recording on Peoria, Kaskakia, Payankasha, Weya, Miami, Muscotin, Odawa, Sak, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land. <laughs> <laughs>